Welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Paul takes us through chapter 61 of Isaiah. The ministry of Jesus is a ministry of jubilee. Jesus rebuilds, renews, repairs, and restores, but there's more. This Jesus, after being crucified and raised to life, instructed his band of dusty disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to be poured out, bringing in the present a foretaste of the cosmic reset we all long for. Our whole mission statement as a church is grounded in a passage from Isaiah, and that is the theme of our morning, chapter 61. And out of that passage comes three core beliefs that lead to three core choices that this whole church is all about. And those three core beliefs are hope beyond our brokenness, we trust our risen Savior, and we get to join him to bring and those three beliefs lead to three choices. The choices of a, I, I like to define a disciple as an apprentice to Jesus in the kingdom of God. So these are the choices. Can you say it with me? I choose to be a disciple of Jesus today. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Amen. Happy Pentecost. Heads up to those online. We'll be celebrating Pentecost with a meal called communion. So grab your bread and drink for later. Uh, I, I think resets are so glorious. Like Cleaning my garage every three years feels like a reset. Uh, it just feels so ordered temporarily. Weeding our gardens this time of year. Doesn't that feel good when you get it weeded? It feels like a reset. Or as I did yesterday, balancing my checkbook after ignoring it for nine months. And I'm, those are nine months of auto deposits and auto withdrawals. So I had no clue what my balance was until yesterday. That was a reset. I also love relational resets. Have you ever been to a celebration, uh, a renewal of vows uh, for a marriage? It's, oh, it's so cool to see that relational reset. Or even just in your relationship, me and my siblings are currently experiencing a relational reset after being disconnected for literally decades because we're having to band together to care for our aging parents. And it's like, why I've been ignoring these relationships. It's a reset. But one of my most favorite resets, can I share? It's a real nerdy one. You got your phone is I love to go onto my settings. This is so fun. And I go up to battery and device care, and there's this kind of smiley face. And it says, optimize now. And I push that, and it gets to be a joyous face. And it says things like, no high battery uses detected. No app crashes detected. One background app closed. And then I go to my memory. 
This is seriously fun. It says, clean now. <laughs> it's just... It's just cleansing. It's like a holy purge. All this garbage is being cleansed. And it, it, it's, it, it's like thousands of megabytes of storage were just purged in a second. Is that glorious? <laughs> Don't you wish you could do that with your soul? Push, just push a button here, reset. You know. Uh, well, you can right now. Pentecost has been a communal reset for the people of God for 2,000 years. And so would you like to join me for a Pentecost prayer? This comes from that amazing prayer app called Lexio 365. Please join me in a Pentecost prayer. Creator God, who formed humanity from dust, breathe in me again. Revive me and sanctify me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Set my heart on fire with the good news of your gospel. Amen. So we've been doing a very high flyover in the majestic book of Isaiah this spring, right? The message of Isaiah has got this double-edged sword. On one side, it's a message warning of judgment for our rebellion, our idolatry, our injustice, and that always leads to exile on the other side is a message of hope for the repentant exiles. Hope grounded in a suffering servant king. And we see that hope especially from chapter 40 on. I just invite you sometime to, if you want to just baptize your soul, like push reset, put on an audio Bible and just listen to Isaiah 40 on and let your mind be baptized by a vision of the kingdom of God. It's amazing. That's, that's what, when I asked Dallas Willard, my mentor, uh, how can I better understand the kingdom of God? He said, just marinate in Isaiah 40 to 66. It's changed my life. So this brings us to the climax of Isaiah, chapter 61, where the word says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And that word spirit is ruach. Can you say ruach? A little guttural at the end there. Ruach. It's the same word for wind and breath, and it kind of sounds like it. Ruach. The, the ruach of God first appears in Genesis 1.1 as he hovered over the formless void, bringing order and beauty out of the chaos. And then in Genesis 2, giving the ruach of life to humans. As the story moved forward, the Ruach of God came upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. And yet the prophets, under the Spirit, spoke of a coming kingdom in which the Spirit would be poured out in fullness on all people of God through a Spirit-anointed Messiah, bringing the first fruits of God's healing to all creation and all the nations. For example, Isaiah 42 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. You see, human rulers throughout history, I'm a history major, 
have been generally an epic failure. Would you agree? <laughs> this was true in Isaiah's time, and it's so true in our time. In spite of what they promise, they cannot save us. Isaiah says our only hope is in a spirit-anointed king who will bring salvation and freedom and shalom, that's the word for peace, to this broken world. But he will bring the rule in the most unexpected, counterintuitive way by becoming a suffering servant who, according to Isaiah 53, had no beauty, no majesty, no attractiveness. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And yet Isaiah says he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Is that a gospel exchange or what? And so fast forward to Isaiah 61. Can you read this with me? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on Backward. No, no, no. Backward. That's it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, release of darkness for the prisoners. And so the mission of the spirit anointed Messiah is to announce good news to the miserable. Good news to the poor. You see, the law and the prophets over and over again connect Israel's love for God with their relationship with the poor, particularly what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. Over and over again, the prophets say, how you treat those groups of people is how you love me. And if you ever separate the two, your religion is a sham. That's the message of the prophets. And so what do those four groups all have in common? Their lives are full of bad news. Think of it, what it's like today in our community. Have you gone shopping for food lately? I couldn't even buy my killer bread because it was like $7. And, and, and that's a real problem. Think who's most intensely feeling squeezed with fuel, food, and housing prices right now. That, they're experiencing bad news. You see, this, the Messiah's spirit-anointed calling was to bring good news to the most vulnerable in society. Next is good news for the brokenhearted. The Hebrew literally reads, to bind up the brokenhearted's broken heart, literally. It's like he's making a point here. Real life has a way of breaking us and breaking our hearts. Would you agree? Think about it. All the ways the hearts are broken. Disappointment over broken hopes and dreams. Separation due to broken relationships. Chronic illness, depression. Isolation and anxiety can break our hearts. Social disruption, violence, trauma, racism, systemic injustice, and political polarization can break our hearts. Loss of employment, 
And then there's the brokenheartedness of the aging process. Friends, getting old is not for wimps. There's the loss of health, the loss of relationships, the loss of mobility. There's just compounding losses. You know, maybe you've cared for aging parents. You know this story. There's so many ways a heart can be broken. 56 years ago today, on June 5, 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King preached on Isaiah 61 at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he opened with this statement, the church is not a social club. Although some people think it is. They get caught up in their exclusivism and they feel like it's a kind of social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. The church is not a social club. The church, can you say amen? Amen. The church is not an entertainment center. Although some people think it is. You can tell in many churches how they act in church, which demonstrates what they think, that it's an entertainment center. The church is not an entertainment center. Amen? Amen. And he went on to say, no, the church is a hospital sent to bring the healing Jesus of Jesus to this brokenhearted world. And King went on to proclaim the most powerful, you can listen to it on YouTube, Jubilee Gospel Message of Hope. You see, friends, sin always leads to captivity. My sin is always a choice to be my own God, to be my own judge, and to be my own savior. Sin manifests in my slavery to resentment, lust, pride, envy, greed, or simply living out my days absorbed in trivial pursuits. That's the most subtle form of sin. Israel's sin led to exile. Exile was the consequence of their injustice and idolatry and rebellion. But for the repentant remnant, that the few that, that listened to the prophets and turned their hearts, the prophets had a powerful message of hope, hope beyond our brokenness, from which we get our mission statement. And so back to Isaiah. Can you read that? We're ready for that. Yes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The year of the Lord's favor. For Isaiah's hearers, this phrase was loaded. Loaded with beauty, with power, with freedom, and with hope. When they heard this phrase, their hearts went back to the jubilee year announced In Leviticus chapter 25, did you know good stuff can come out of even Leviticus? (laughs) Jubilee comes from Leviticus, friends. Can I geek out with you for a moment on this? Because this is so amazing. I want you to get it. Do I have your permission? Thank you. You see, it all began in Eden, didn't it? On the seventh day of creation, God rested. Everybody take a deep breath. Hold it. Let it out. You just experienced Sabbath. God breathed. He stood back and he observed his creation and celebrated his handiwork. And as his image bears, we've been wired for Sabbath rhythms of renewal and restoration. Fast forward to the exodus from Egypt and the covenant instructions at Sinai. Sabbath was given as a gift to remind these ex-slaves 
who never had a Sabbath for hundreds of years, that they, they had a new identity as the liberated people of God. And their Sabbath gave them a regular reminder of Eden, or as one of my favorite scholars on the prophets says, a cathedral in time in the rhythm of their lives. Sabbath is like a cathedral in time. But biblical Sabbath was not just one day in seven. Get this. This is where it gets exciting. It was one year in seven years. Every seventh year, God's people were to push pause on their whole social and economic system. Free their slaves, cancel the debts, and I love this, allow the land to fallow for a whole year. Is that cool? You're not as excited as I am. And trust God to provide. You see, Sabbath required trust. As the soil of the earth that I watch every time I drive Los Osos Valley Road needs regular replenishment, if it's constantly exploited, it's drained of its minerals, right? So fallow is an opportunity to renew its mineral content, so our souls need regular renewal and restoration. That's what Sabbath is all about, restoration. But there's more. There was a super Sabbath. We learn about this in Leviticus 25. After seven Sabbath years, can you guys do the math with me? Uh, 49. <laughs> On the seventh month, of the seventh of the seven Sabbath years, on the Day of Atonement, the Lord commands, sound the trumpet throughout the land, and you shall hallow the 50th year and shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Slaves are freed, debts were canceled, farmland was allowed to fallow in addition Land was all returned to the original ancestral family. Imagine for a moment <laughs> what this would do to our entire Southern California economy if every 50 years we returned all our land back to the Chumash. <laughs> you see, this is the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor that Isaiah is 61 is referring to. It's like a radical reset for the whole of society. All cycles of debt and oppression were broken and everybody got a new start. Is that cool? I also listened to a sermon on Isaiah 61 by Tim Keller this week, and he emphasizes that the biblical jubilee is not merely a spiritual celebration. It involves whole persons in the whole of their communities. It involves both personal and social transformation, body and soul, economic and emotional, psychological and political. It affected their relationship with everything, with their time, with their money, with their land, with their possessions, with their work, with their family, with their neighbors, and with the most vulnerable. Do you long for a jubilee reset? Does our world need a jubilee reset? Read it with me again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
You see, the, the prophets are poets. They're like verbal artists who call on a wealth of imagery to capture our imaginations with the grandeur of God and God's saving and restoring work. And so they harness all of these powerful metaphors. We see three here. Uh, God's jubilee restoration is like a new wardrobe. I love the instead of. You see all the instead of's here? We, we sing, trading my... Yeah, there's a lot of instead of's here. That's gospel, friends. The spirit-anointed Messiah trades our garments of grief and mourning and despair for crowns of beauty, oil of joy, robes of righteousness, salvation, and praise. And he goes on later in Isaiah 61, with the beauty of a bride and a bridegroom adorned for their big day. The Messiah is redressing us. By the way, next Sunday is what? And we have a tradition at our baptism. After each person is baptized, we wrap them in a gift, a new beach towel. I think it has our coastal... Uh, our, our hope, trust, restoration on it. And it's, it represents how the Holy Spirit is wrapping each of them in a new identity in Christ. Is that cool? Yeah. Jubilee involves us being wrapped into a new wardrobe. The second image, which I love so much, can you read it with me? It's an oak, a majestic oak. They will be called a planting for the Lord for the display of his splendor. You see the I did some research on this. Coastal live oak is an absolutely amazing living thing. Don't you guys love oaks? Uh, oaks are resilient. They thrive and stay green in a very arid environment. Actually, if we get rain in the summer, it can actually cause root rot for an oak. Even the debris that falls to the ground creates little micro-ecosystems that promote good fungi which seeps down to nourish the roots. Is that cool? And then, but what I love most about oaks is that they're gnarly and old. <laughs> My professor of horticultural friends said most of those oaks you see in those hills are more than 100 years old. Some plants spring up quickly and fade quickly, but not oaks. They're slow growth organisms. And friends, righteousness is a slow growth process. Righteousness is the biblical word for right relationships. And right relationships don't form like that. They grow slowly like gnarly oaks. Deep spiritual formation takes time and intentionality, and it needs arid, dry seasons to flourish. Are you with me? So this is such a good image for all of us who've been raised in an impatient, instant uh, microwave culture. We want everything now, and God is saying, I'm planting you as oaks of righteousness. To display my splendor, friends, Coastal Community Church is like a majestic, slow-growth oak planted by the Lord right here on the Central Coast. And what is our mission What is our mission? Display. To display his splendor, his 
majesty, his strength, his beauty. Next, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 4. There's another metaphor he loves. They will, they will rebuild, read it with me, ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You see, at the, as Isaiah is speaking these words, Jerusalem is in total ruin. And throughout history, friends, ruined cities have led to generations of trauma. Our hearts are now just broken daily by the pictures of devastation in Ukraine. Look at the before and after of Mariupol. What does that do to your heart? Ruined. And that's the metaphor. Cities matter to God, friends. The prophet Jeremiah spoke to the, Lord, the Lord's word to the exiles at this very time. And the Lord said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all I carried into exile from Jerusalem to pagan Babylon. Can you read it with me? Seek the prosperity of the city to Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. The word for peace is shalom. Seek the shalom of the pagan conquerors in which you are currently living as exiles. Seek the well-being of that community. Tim Keller says, in God's design, cities have four key roles. To be places of refuge, justice, culture, and spiritual seeking. But sin has broken cities, raising oppression, exploitation, injustice, and culture debasement. But there's good news. God loves the world. That means God loves cities. That means we should love cities. Amen? Even Bakersfield in L.A. I know another pastor in this church likes to diss those cities. <laughs> but I'll have you know, God loves Bakersfield and he loves LA. <laughs> and I think he even loves Kuyama. <laughs> because God loves people and people live in all of those places, amen? amen? So, Keller says, we're not just to use and exploit cities for personal gain. Believers are called to redeem cities. So let me ask you a question. What are some ways God may have gifted us, positioned us to engage the five cities in Slow County and be a blessing to bring shalom to our community how do we begin to see our city through God's eyes? I had the opportunity this week to join my very good friend David, professor of dairy science at Cal Poly, and do a prayer walk around the campus on Thursday. You see, prayer walking is simply praying on site with insight, walking with your eyes open through parts of the community and seeking God's shalom in those places. And so we started at the administration building, and we were just thinking about how many hundreds of kids get turned down when they're applying to get into the engineering program or whatever. 
And we, <laughs> David, under the Spirit, prayed a prayer, Lord, you know who needs to be accepted here to be ambushed by your grace on this campus. <laughs> because you're going to use Christian professors and Christian groups and Christian students to ambush them with your grace. So would you guide those pagan admission officers in accepting the ones that you're calling? That was such a powerful prayer. And then we went by the, the, the PAC, the the performance arts area, and we just prayed, Lord God, that beauty and truth and goodness would come out of the music and the art and the drama that is here. And then we walked by the athletics, and we thought about how the intense pressure, I know this from InterVarsity's athletic director, that kids are under to perform, and how that leads to anxiety and how that leads to medicating and there's a cycle of performance and medication that a lot of our athletes are getting caught into performance anxiety medicating and we prayed against that we prayed that they'd be like Eric Little God made me fast <laughs> and when I run I feel your pleasure it wasn't a, just to justify themselves it was so cool and then of course we had to pray over the cows in the dairy <laughs> that was my favorite part with all the flies and I said, David, as we're driving, yours is the only department at Cal Poly that you can smell. <laughs> but we prayed over, he introduced me to one of his young students that he's been mentoring to, who's going to make a difference in the dairy industry. And he says, that girl, she's going to make a difference in the industry. Watch. And I just, I just, I went away. I will never see Cal Poly the same. Friends, you can do this. You can walk your community. And you could speak God's shalom over schools and neighborhoods and police departments and, and, and recovery homes. And you could speak blessing. And as you walk, God is going to show you where you are positioned to bring shalom and jubilee into those places. It's so powerful. And it's fun. And it's good exercise, too. I mean, it's a win-win-win. Back to Isaiah 61. I'm sorry I'm getting off track here. 61. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise. This is Eden imagery, friends. The rest of Isaiah reveals how God, through his spirit-anointed servant, is going to build a new Jerusalem that's going to become a house of healing for all the nations. Read it. It's glorious. If you're feeling like you're getting cynical about the world, you've got to read Isaiah. Fast forward 700 years. <laughs> Of all the parts of the Hebrew scriptures Jesus could choose to read in his inaugural sermon upon which he was going to launch his whole ministry, what passage do you think he chose? Let's listen. Turn to Luke chapter 4. This is immediately after, by the way, fasting for 40 days and being tempted in the desert. That's the context. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath, that should be a hyperlink, Sabbath, he went up into the synagogue, 
as with his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit. Can you read it with me? The Spirit of the Lord. And he went on to quote Isaiah 61. But then there was the mic drop moment. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I don't have gears in my soul to communicate how beautiful and heavy and glorious and powerful these words are. Jesus, friends, is Jubilee. The freedom, the release, the liberty, the repair, the restoration you long for, Jesus is saying, I am Jubilee. Read the Gospels and see how he brought this cosmic reset to the world. Jesus brought good news to the poor. He said, blessed are the poor. Jesus brings healing to the brokenhearted, freedom to the captives, release from darkness for prisoners, comfort for those who mourn. He said, blessed are the, those who mourn. Jesus trades our ashes for his beauty, our mourning for his joy, our despair for praise. And this Jesus sends out his dusty, motley crew of disciples to be like oaks of righteousness across the central coast for the display of his splendor. He called together his band of dusty disciples and gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus rebuilds ancient ruins. He, he renews ruined cities. He restores the places long devastated. Jesus makes the soil of our barren lives fruitful. Jesus causes seed of the kingdom to grow, making righteousness and praise spring out before the nations. Friends, Jesus is the Jubilee. Amen? And this King Jesus, after being crucified and raised to life, gave his band of disciples a mission in this world. But, I'm getting to Pentecost, guys. It's taken me a long time. He said, you can't bring my jubilee into this world in your own smarts and in your own strength. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. The promised Holy Spirit. He will give you power to bring jubilee. And so what did they do? They followed instructions and they gathered and prayed and when was the Spirit poured out on the waiting disciples? Penty cost. Fifty. Pentecost is the feast that's after the seventh Sabbath. Are you guys tracking with me, friends? You see, pilgrims were in Jerusalem to celebrate the great feast from as far as Africa, Arabia, modern-day Iraq, Rome, all present for the great Jewish feast, which is also called weeks. Do the math. Seven times seven days plus one is what? 
after Jesus was crucified, after, Pentec- after Passover, remember Leviticus and Isaiah spoke of the year of the Lord's favor, which was to be celebrated every seven times seven plus one years. The super Sabbath. On this Jubilee day, the Spirit was given to the church. Do you think it's an accident that it was seven times seven plus one? I didn't do well in math. They didn't teach it in seminary. But I do know that that adds up to 50. It's the same number of the day of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. And it's the same year of the Lord's favor that God spoke to exiles in Isaiah 61. The Holy Spirit, friends, is now bringing the Jubilee of Jesus into our world. A foretaste in the present of the cosmic reset that we all long for. Are you thirsty for that cosmic reset? For a Jubilee reset in your world. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray a prayer of gospel exchange. Then I will lead you in a Pentecost liturgy from Ezekiel chapter 26. I'd love the worship team to come up. We'll be inviting the Holy Spirit. That chapter talks about how God gives us a heart transplant. He takes out our hard hearts and gives us a spirit of a responsive and tender heart. Then we will celebrate communion as we did last month, but more organized this time. (laughs) So here's the rules. There's five rules. (laughs) Number one, the last shall be first. That means don't get up. Let Let the ushers dismiss you from the back forward. Everybody got that? Yes, pastor? Number two. Elders and deacons, elders, uh, I'm sorry, deacons in this service with tongs will give you a piece of bread and then you'll take a little McJuice cup. Return to your seat. Take the bread, the body of our Lord, and eat it, but hold the cup because we want to drink together at the end. Are you with me? Hold the cup. And I just want to say there's no pressure. We don't believe in pressure here. We don't believe in rote either, rote religion. If you're not taking communion for a reason, an important reason this morning, I encourage you, just follow the group. And, and when you come by the table, just put your hand over your heart and say, I'm receiving the Father's blessing. I won't be receiving communion this morning. And we'll just speak a blessing over you as you pass. Are you ready to pray for Jubilee? Okay, I will pray first, and then if you would follow me line by line. Lord Jesus, in my poverty, come, Holy Spirit. Bring your abundance. In my broken heart, come, Holy Spirit. Bring your healing. In my prisons, come, Holy Spirit. Bring your freedom. In my grief, come, Holy Spirit. Bring your joy. In my despair, come, Holy Spirit. Bring your praise. In our broken cities, come, Holy Spirit. 
bring your restoration. Holy Spirit, bring the jubilee of Jesus into my world. Let's read these words. I will, it's a call and response. I'll read from Ezekiel. If you would read the refrain, Come, Holy Spirit. Ezekiel, uh, the liturgy. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and I will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the fields so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. Come, Holy Spirit. Let us celebrate the life of our Lord Jesus who hosts this meal, who through his broken body bore our sin that we, he was broken, that we could be healed. Is that amazing? He was broken that we could be healed. His blood was poured out to remove our guilt and also to reconcile enemies. Ephesians says that this blood has the power to reconcile us to our enemies. He tears down the walls. Jesus, we invite you by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to feed our souls right now with your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat for a moment because i got to read the rest of what happened on that Jubilee Pentecost day. Can I? You got a minute? By the way, we're starting the book of Acts after Isaiah, so this is a teaser. So that multi-ethnic community was gathered together in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, and the Spirit was poured out, and they, the crowds thought that the disciples were drunk. And the ex-denier, Peter, stands up and says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, guys. No, this, this is the gift that the man you crucified who was raised from the dead has given and he began to proclaim the hope of the risen Jesus and at the end of chapter 2 it says this let all the house of Israel know that for certain that God has made this one Lord and Christ whom you crucified when they heard this they were cut to heart and cried out 
Brothers, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized next week. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of Jubilee, Holy Spirit. So those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. The first church was this amazing multi-ethnic community and guess what they did? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came on everyone, and they were such, they were like oaks of righteousness. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Do you want to be that kind of oak of righteousness here on the Central Coast? Well, part of that is being nourished breaking bread together. This is our life. This is our life, amen? Jesus, his death is my life. Let us drink together. Can I speak a blessing over you? Can you stand? As you go into this world, may the Spirit of God, as we just sang, be poured out on you to bring a little taste of jubilee in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in your city and in your family. Amen? Jesus, we pray for jubilee in the Bay Area and across the Central Coast in L.A. and even in Bakersfield. Lord, we pray for jubilee to visit our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, our schools. We ask for jubilee in our government. And I pray that you would give us the joy of giving it away, giving it away this week. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.